so yeah. <laughs> Did you get the song, by the way? Who 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 sang that? Say it again. Ponytails. Okay, that means nothing to me. <laughs> okay, who was singing that version? Yeah. Older women, younger men. <laughs> Come on, somebody, help me out here. Amy Winehouse, there we go, Amy Winehouse. Who else sang that song? Ponytails? <laughs> who wrote the song? No, Phil Spector. See, I knew that, Isabel. Yeah. Thanks to Wikipedia. <laughs> I remember Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris and Linda Ronstadt singing that song. Yeah, yeah. So when I hear it, I kind of hear Dolly Parton's voice. But, uh, <laughs> but if you know anything about Amy Winehouse, you'll know that she very tragically died a couple of years ago from alcohol poisoning. Um, and in many ways, she was a rebel. You know, Alan was speaking on, on rebelliousness last week. Um, and just, just thinking about this, this, um, this life of somebody who, who died so young. Uh, she died when she was 27, which is the same age as lots of kind of uh, creative musical um, singers and songwriters and artists, um, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, um, Kurt Cobain, to name but a few. And um, it struck me that these creative geniuses, tragic as it is that they die so young, um, they kind of leave a legacy, don't they? They leave something with us, and, th and that's not, um, not sad. That's, that's really happy. Um, Amy had a, a very troubled life. Um, there's a really, really good movie documentary about her. I, I would recommend watching it if you want to, uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Very sad movie, but it, it really put across that she, she was, to some degree, uh, partly by her own perception, she was let down through her life at key times by people who should have been her role models. By that I mean, older people who had kind of lived a life that could pass on wisdom and, and guidance to somebody like Amy. And she was let down by those people because either they weren't there when she needed them or she had already kind of rejected them or, you know, um, they had moved away from her and, and when she really needed them, they, they weren't there for her. Um, and I think that's got something to do with what I'm speaking about this morning. I'm going to talk about role models and, and the role they have in, in, a, in a community, the role they have in, in our church, in society. You know, um, I think part of the reason that creative people kind of crash and burn like, like Amy did is that as soon as they do something remarkable or, or noteworthy, they're, they're put on a platform they're elevated, they're inflated, and everybody wants a bit of them. Everybody wants to know them, okay? So they kind of buy their own press, if you know what I mean. They start believing the hype about themselves, and that's quite dangerous to, to young creative people. Once I start believing that about myself, I no longer see the need to listen 
to those older than me, wiser than me, those that might be able to give me a bit of guidance. I no longer feel the need to listen to them because I am, I am somebody, you know, I've been elevated. And I think to some degree that's what happened to people like Amy Winehouse, you know. Um, I actually wish that Amy Winehouse had um, got to know Dolly Parton, actually. If you think about Dolly Parton, still going strong, still performing, um, a woman of God, so much wisdom, so much life experience that she could pass on to people like Amy Winehouse. Um, sadly, the first thing I knew about um, Dolly Parton growing up was that she was, all I knew actually was that she was an American woman with big boobs. Isn't that sad though? <laughs> you know, I'm saying it, it's probably the first time the word boobs has been said down the microphone. <laughs> There, I said it again. <laughs> it's quite sad, though, that that's all I knew about this incredible, influential woman of God. And that's because, partly because of my upbringing. It's partly because of the, um, our sort of, I guess, chauvinist society. I don't believe it's just men that objectify people, though. You know, I think women do as well. But that's exactly what I, what I did. I saw her as an object, and I, I couldn't see beyond that. How sad. Learning about Dolly Parton now, um, I know what an incredible woman she is. Um, I didn't really plan to talk about Dolly Parton this morning, <laughs> but, but you know what? I'm going to. I'm going to because, because I believe, <laughs> I believe I'm, I'm honouring her by doing that. One thing you might not know about Dolly Parton is that she spends a lot of her money on um, raising literacy across the world. She does this by, um, she, every month, in, in kind of a, sort of the, the more impoverished areas of particularly America, Canada, and the UK, you, you can be sent, if you're, a, if you're a, a young child that hasn't started school yet, up to the age of five, Dolly Parton literally will send you through the post a book, a new book every month, so you can read. And, and these children, and I know this as a teacher, that there are thousands upon thousands of children in our country, as well as America and Canada, that don't have any books at home. They don't have a single book at home. So Dolly Parton has taken it upon herself to post them to families and children. Isn't that amazing? Up until the age of five, every month, you can get a book for free sent to you by this amazing lady. Uh, who knew that? Actually, we don't know that because it's not, it doesn't make the front page of the newspapers, does it? Whereas, you know, uh, somebody like, um, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but somebody like Amy Winehouse rolling out of a nightclub totally off her head on something, you know, that does make the front page of the newspapers. How sad that our media does that. You know, our media both loves and hates the rebel in our society. They love them because it makes news, but they also hate them. You'll see headlines that disgraceful, you know, shocking behavior. But actually, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're publicizing that as well. You know, they're, they're really putting them on a platform um, under the guise of being shocked and disgusted, but actually they're glamorizing it, aren't they? What a comparison, though, you know? Anyway, what was I meant to be speaking about? But I think there's a link there. There's a link there. Rebels make trouble. 
because they're not at peace inside. Think about these people that kind of crash and burn. You know, that you know that there's, there's something inside them that is not right. They're not at peace inside. Often when I pray for people, I pray for kind of inner peace. That sounds a bit kind of hippie-ish, but, but, but that's, <laughs> it, that's what we want though, isn't it? Inner peace. And, and by that I mean, I, I see that if you're not at peace in the inside, then things that happen to you externally will, will, will have a um, more negative effect on you, won't they? The things that happen out of you will, will cause more, uh, you more trouble and more mess if you're messed up inside already. So I think rebels, they react to external things. You know, they break rules and they... they, they um, they react to, to what's happening outside, ironically, because they're in prison on the inside. So the, the, there's all this kind of rebellious freedom that they're shouting on the outside, but actually it's because they're in prison on the inside. You know, I really empathize with that. I really empathize with people who, who shout and break rules. Uh, to some degree, I've grown up with a bit of that in me. And I also empathize because I recognize it often means that there's something trapped inside. People that are free inside are much more likely, ironically, to comply, to, 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 to go by the rules, to, to, uh, to serve, to be humble. If you're free inside, you're much more likely to be a servant on the outside. There's another irony. And we're going to look at that today. Because the passage I'm going to read you, it has some pretty difficult instruction, actually. I would say particularly for younger women, if you'd read it as, it, as it's written. But I want you to bear in mind that people are, who are free on the inside are much more likely to be servants and humble, you know, humble people who go by the rules, who comply. So I'm going to teach about this inner freedom and where it comes from. So let's read the passage. Finally getting round to it, Richard. Titus, chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. 
So there it is. Older women, younger women. Older men, younger men. Slaves. I think that speaks of role models because there is some specific instruction there. You may not have noticed, I read it about 10 times before I noticed this, that Paul is instructing Titus to instruct certain groups of people. But he doesn't instruct Titus to, to teach every, all five of those groups of people. For example, he teach, he, he's telling Titus to teach the older women to be reverent, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but teach what is good so the older women can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, be busy at home, be kind, be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So it's the older women that are urged to, to teach the younger women, not Titus. See how, how that works? That's calling on role models, isn't it? It's calling on mentors. I think there is a calling in, in churches for role models. There is a calling for mentors. And to some degree, that's an undervalued use of our older people. All right? It's an undervalued role in church, I would say. Okay? I, I, I say that because I know how much I have valued role models. Growing up in, in this church, um, there have been some key times in my life where if I had not had a relationship with particularly older men in our church, I would have crashed and burned to some degree, or I would have just drifted or, you know, gone a different direction. Um, it's a very kind of boring thing to say that people kept me on the straight and narrow, but kind of that's what, what happened. You know, that's what happens. And that, that is really important. I know this because I'm standing here preaching at you today. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Even hallelujah. <laughs> amen in capital letters. So I am standing here today to testify that role models are important in our church. Okay? So you as older men and women and as younger men and women... I want you to take that on board as a, as a personal challenge, both to, to look for role models, get to know older people, and really get to know them, you know. Over the past few years, Beth and I have got to know some of the older people in our church, and it has massively benefited us, you know. Every two weeks, we, we share dinner with um, a set of, shall we say, yeah, let's say, <laughs> older Older people, it's, it almost sounds like a, a rude word, doesn't it? How sad. You know, Marcus was talking about this, that, that gray hairs should be celebrated, you know. And uh, to some degree, I agree. I, I think that's easier for men to say than women. I do appreciate that. But, you know, being old, it, it's, it's an honorable thing, isn't it? It's an honorable thing. In most cultures around the world, it is still an honorable thing, you know. Um, I remember being in Africa, and people being insulted when I, were, when I called them Baba rather than Sukuru. Baba means father, Sukuru means grandfather. I'm talking to people who are in their 30s, and I said, you know, Mangwanani Baba, which means good morning, father. They'd be kind of like, what are you trying to say? Like, you know, or in the, the African language, <laughs> they didn't say. The point is, the point is, and you'll, you'll know this, David, won't you? The point is, it's an honor to be seen as a grandfather rather than a father, yeah? 
And I think the same could be said for a lot of cultures around the world. So older women urging younger women to do the things I've just described. Kind of feel sorry for younger women. I think you get a bit of a raw deal in this passage. <laughs> this is what you're urged to do, younger women. Love your husbands and children. Be self-controlled and pure. Be busy at home. Be kind. Be subject to your husbands so no one will malign the word of God. Younger men, be self-controlled. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, all, that's all it says. <laughs> that's all it says. <laughs> I can already hear younger women muttering. <laughs> it reminds me of... Um, it reminds me of... Um, I saw on the internet, um, I'll show you. Just bear with. Oh, it's gone all quiet. I'm going to overcompensate in a minute and say something stupid. <laughs> you know what I'm like. <laughs> okay, let's, let's go with this. Let's try this. Okay, if it works. All right. Here he is. Younger man. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll give it 10 more seconds if it doesn't work. Oh, there we go. Okay. This is from a, a, a magazine in the 50s, kind of a good housewife, good housekeeping type magazine. And there's some instructions from, from an older woman who wrote this to younger women, okay? This is what it reminded me. So I'm going to read them. So first of all, younger women, have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal ready on time of his return. This is a way of letting him know that you've been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Most women are hungry when they come home, and the prospect of a good meal, especially his favorite dish, is part of the warm welcome needed. Prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh-looking. He has just been with a lot of work-weary people. Be a little gay and be a little more interested in him. That would certainly... Well, uh, his boring day may need a lift, and one of your duties is to provide it. Clear away the clutter. I love that. I'm just vacuuming. <laughs> Make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives, Gather up the school books, toys, paper, etc., then run a dustcloth over the tables. <laughs> over the cooler months of the year, you should prepare and light a fire for him to unwind by, like a kebab. <laughs> your husband will feel your husband will feel he has reached a haven of rest and order. And, it, and ladies, it will give you a lift too. <laughs> After all, catering for his comfort will provide you with immense personal satisfaction. <laughs> Prepare the children, like vegetables, prepare the children. <laughs> Take a few minutes to wash the children's hands and faces if they're small. Comb their hair and, if necessary, change their clothes. Children are little treasures, and he would like to see them playing the part. Minimize all noise. 
At the time of his arrival, eliminate all noise of the washer, dryer, or vacuum. Try to encourage the children to be quiet. <laughs> be happy to see him. Free him, free him with a warm smile, and show sincerity in your desire to please him. Listen to him. You may have a dozen important things to tell him, but the moment of his arrival is not the time. Let him talk first. Remember, his topics of conversation are far more important than yours. Do I hear an amen? <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Quick, get that off before there's a riot. I mean, how hilarious is that, and why are we laughing? Why are we laughing? We're laughing partly out of awkward embarrassment, especially the men. They're thinking, oh, I would really like that, but I'm... <laughs> Let me talk first when I come in. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> and if you're a woman, you're, you're kind of a little bit outraged by that, you know, and so you should be. But I, I'm going to be quite... I'm going to attempt to be quite sincere now. If you read that through, actually, there's very little wrong with that. There's very little wrong with that because what's being urged there is a serving heart, a loving heart. And let's just get rid of the sort of wife-husband thing. It's t they're talking to... The, the, the instruction is for people to be loving to people, isn't it? That's, that's, that's the heart of it. So let's get to the heart of it, and then perhaps we can see some truth in it. The only thing really that, that grates with me when I, when I read that back through, when I'm looking for the heart of it, is the bit where it says, um, you know, um, that their, their topics of conversation are far more important than yours. You know, the, there's the inequality, okay? You can approach most of that with, with total equality. How do you do that? Well, let's say um, somebody was reading that magazine and they took all of those things on board, and so they made a concerted effort to be loving in that way, all right? There would be equality if the person they were showing that love towards did the same. That would be equality, wouldn't it? So whether it's men and, or women, or women or men, you know, if, if, if that's reciprocated, there's equality, okay? But the trouble is, and I think this is, this is a massive issue globally and throughout history, when people have that serving heart and they consider others better than themselves, which I think women have been doing for centuries and centuries, and women have been doing that better than men, when, there's, when that's not reciprocated, it creates an imbalance, okay? There's not equality, all right? So think about this passage. I'll read it again. Because I want us to dig a bit deeper with this. So older women, urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, be kind, be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. The reason there, no one will malign the word of God, there are three reasons for these instructions given. One of them is what you've just heard. In other words, if you behave like this, it will disarm the enemy. If you behave like this to others, it will disarm the enemy. Okay? The other reason is it will prevent opposition. 
listen to this, in your teaching show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Those who oppose you will be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Kind of reminds me of the, the, the media, you know, the press reporting on people like Amy Winehouse. The other reason is it makes the gospel attractive. It makes the Word of God attractive, makes the teaching about God our Savior attractive, and it says that when the instruction is given to slaves. For centuries, women around the world have disarmed the enemy with their attitudes towards men. I want to say that again, because this is something I've really been, it's really been impressed, impressed upon me uh, during studying and reading this passage. For centuries, women around the world have disarmed the enemy with their attitudes towards men. They have served, loved, been peacemakers. They've modeled patience and virtue. They've treated men as better than themselves. But what's really sad about that is that men have spoilt it by believing their own press. So if somebody's treating me as better than them, once I start to believe that and not reciprocate, it creates an imbalance, doesn't it? It creates that inequality. And look at the harm inequality does around our world. Our society has been crippled over the decades by, by chauvinism, often caused by male vanity. In other words, when we start to believe that we're as, um, that we're as important and, and special as people say we are, when we start to believe our own press, that's when vanity sets in, that's when um, an, uh, an imbalance happens. You know, Alan mentioned that the, the, the first kind of rebel was, was Satan. I also think the first, um, the first case of this, this imbalance was, was with Satan. He started to believe his own press to some degree, the, the vanity he showed. In, in Ezekiel it says, um, basically pride led to Satan's fall. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. There's another um, person put on a pedestal, starts to believe all that about themselves, become vain and proud, and it leads to a fall. You know, when people treat me as superior, I'm not supposed to act superior, to put it bluntly. When people treat me as better than them, I'm not supposed to act better than them. That's how love works, isn't it? That's how relationships work. I'm supposed to be blessed and humbled and behave in the same way as the person blessing me. That's how relationships work. I think, it, you know, it's, it's very sad and, and very, and a lot of this is, is kind of, it's undoable because it's throughout history, but it's very sad that men throughout history have taken advantage of that. We've built empires on, on layer upon layer of inequality. You know, we, we, we've built up, um, literally built up empires on, on hideous inequalities. So whether you're a man or a woman, treat others as better than yourself. It's a two-way thing, yeah?
It's a two-way thing. I, I teach this. Um, um, just do that with your arms. Do that with your arms. Yeah. What sign is that? Equals. Yeah, equals. And, and I teach this to children because a lot of children think that the equal sign means there's the answer. So when I teach it like this, using Makaton, I show a balance, and that's what equals actually means. So children can see three add two equals five, and they see that okay, but the moment they say, see five equals three add something, they say, oh, you can't do that, or something equals three add two, you can't do that because the answer should go there. They think equals means there's the answer, but it doesn't, it means a balance, yeah? That's why I like to give it a little wobble, just to show it. And also, you can show an imbalance, all right? And because I've been teaching for years, every time I talk about equality or equals, I do that. I just naturally do it. <laughs> but it really puts across, doesn't it? It really puts across why sometimes we write that and sometimes we write that or that. Balance, imbalanced, okay? Our relationships are like that. They're either balanced or imbalanced. What's, what's more, children mistakenly believe that equals means the same as. Equals doesn't mean the same as. It means the same value as, which is different. You see, five pence and five pence has the same value as ten pence, but it's not the same. There's two coins here and one coin here. Men and women are not the same. Have you noticed? Yeah. I have. <laughs> Men and women are not the same, but they have the same value. Amen? They have the same value. That's what equality is. It's this. It's this balance. So when I do stuff for you and it puts me kind of in a lower position, relationships work when the person receiving that does the same. Yeah? If I put myself in a lower position because I love you and I want to serve you, relationships work if that person does the same, because then there's a balance. Otherwise, there's an imbalance. Yeah, come on. Hmm. A love imbalance creates inequality, and inequality breeds a culture of oppression and slavery. If you're oppressed and treated badly, then this will mess you up and defeat you if you're also enslaved inside. You know, if I'm being treated badly, I'm going to be even more messed up if I'm a slave inside. So we've got to get that balance right. If you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are free inside, then nothing will conquer that. You're free indeed. People will treat you badly. They'll treat you as inferior. You'll be flattered, despised, mocked. But you'll not be defeated because you're free inside. What gives you that freedom? You know, you know, you know that freedom, don't you? Because you've got it. So what gives you that freedom? It's not a rhetorical question. <laughs> it's God's portion, isn't it? It's God's portion. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what gives you that freedom inside. That's the thing you know will never be taken away. That's the thing you know when you're being battered and oppressed and mocked and jeered you still have. It's not going to fade because you feel scared. It's not going to fade because you're, you're under attack. You're under fire. It's your portion. It's a possession we can have, and once we do, it's ours forever. No one can take our portion. We can endure, not just endure, but thrive through difficult circumstances because of our portion. 
the Holy Spirit. And that's the secret to deep internal freedom. That's the secret. You don't mention slavery. And at first when I read this, I thought, first of all, why are instructions being given to slaves? And also, why are they kind of, you know, they're in an awful situation. If you're a slave, that's that's, that's not nice, to put it mildly. And yet Paul is giving Titus instructions to to tell the slaves how to behave. It feels a bit unfair, would you say? Teach the slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try and please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them. It's a bit like that 50s magazine, isn't it? Keep the children quiet. Put your servants in a, a room without a heater, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So the teaching about God our Savior will be made attractive because of the way servants behave. That's what it means. The teaching about our God will be made attractive to all who are viewing because of the way our slaves behave, our servants behave. Yes, there's imbalance there. Yes, there's inequality. Yes, they're being treated unfairly. But if you have that inner freedom that this is teaching, if you have that inner freedom, then you're going to make the gospel attractive. That's for you. You know, to some degree, we're all slaves. By that, I mean we all have, um, we're all put in environments and situations beyond our control that are not fair. That's kind of slavery, isn't it? If you've got that inner freedom, though, it will not crush you. It will not defeat you. And what's more, you will make the, the, the teaching of the Word of God attractive to others. That's how you live your life. That's the best evangelism ever, isn't it? Yeah, come on. To be undefeated by external circumstances because you've got inner freedom and everybody starts to see that you're behaving differently, that you've got this hope, you've got this, this, this joy, this light. Best evangelism ever. Stop knocking on doors. <laughs> hmm. Listen to this. This is... Um, This is Lamentations. This is somebody who's going through a lot of bad stuff. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will rest in him. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will not be defeated. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have inner freedom internal freedom, eternal freedom. Hmm. You know, there are more slaves, actual slaves, on this planet today than there ever have been throughout history. There are more slaves in 21st century um, planet Earth than there ever have been throughout history. Isn't that disgraceful? 21 to 30 million people enslaved around the world it's statistically likely 
that in every major town and city in the UK, there are slaves. There are people being kept against their will, forced to work for no money, uh, and fed just enough to keep them alive and keep them fit enough to do the job. You know, that's slavery. You know, that's slavery. Often they're marked or tattooed, so if they do escape, they're recognizable. That's in our country. That's in most countries around the world. Apparently about 3,000 slaves live in our country. 3,000. But I'm saying to some degree we're all slaves. And it's that inner freedom that, that enables us to endure, not just to endure, but to thrive through difficult circumstances. So if my, if my prayer has any content, it, it's that people who are actual slaves, actually experiencing slavery, have that inner freedom. In fact, let's reach out to them now. Let's do this. You know, I'm, I'm feeling a real kind of, a real yearning and, and a, a, a sort of heart response to these people in our country, in our country, for goodness sake, and around the world, 31 million people possibly. Let's stand and reach out to them. Hmm. Father, we're aware, and if we're not aware, that this is available to us today, that inner freedom, your portion, Lord, your Holy Spirit, that is eternal once it's in us, it can't be taken away from us. And, and we, we are so aware of this, Lord, that we, we reach out with our spirits to people who don't have that, to people who are suffering around the world, to people who are enslaved around the world, Lord. And we pray first and foremost, Lord, that you send your spirit to them. Send your spirit to them in dreams. Send your spirit to them in, in, their, in their waking hours. Send your spirit to them, Lord. Let them receive that inner freedom. Mm, just pray that now. Pray that out now. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Inner freedom, Lord. Emancipate the slaves through inner freedom and then see their circumstances change. Emancipate the slaves through inner freedom and then see their external circumstances change. And let them, through that, make your gospel, make your word, Lord, more attractive yeah. to others. Yes, Father. Let the slaves free the masters. Yes, God. Let the captured free the captors. Bravo. Through the power of your spirit, Lord Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. Ooh. I pray for anyone here today who is enslaved by sickness, enslaved by external circumstances, as we reach out this morning, Lord, as we reach out this morning, let their internal circumstances start to affect their external circumstances. Let their inner freedom start to affect their outer freedom. Let it manifest completely over them, Lord. Thank you for that inner freedom we have. Let it start to affect and impact our external circumstances. And what a witness that will be. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Bless you.